Dukkha, aging is dukkha, and death is dukkha. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are dukkha. Association with the disliked is dukkha. Separation from the liked is dukkha. Not attaining one's wishes is dukkha. What are the most important questions that we can ask ourselves, well, the first one is, am I hurting? Is there pain? Pain, anybody? Pain, pain? Going once, going twice. (laughs) Pain. Birth, aging, sickness, death, association with the disliked, separation from the loved one, Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are dukkha. I can't handle it. But we can. We can handle it. What's the second most important thing that we can ask ourselves? Why am I suffering? What's happening to me? How come? But this is not news. This is old story. Many of us have realized that we've been in pain of one sort or another for a long, 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 long time. And we have successfully, in conventional terms, we've found strategies and coping mechanisms to deal with that pain. We've had disappointments, we've had accidents, we've had crises, we've had suicides, We've had heart attacks, we've had cancer, we've been abandoned, we've been abused, we've been blamed, we've done terrible things to ourselves and to other people that we feel very sorry about. And we're surprised. Why am I suffering? So it's like a person who is ill or has a a poisonous infection, a wound from an arrow or from a sickness, and we go to a doctor and we ask for medicine. The doctor gives us some medicine, you follow the instructions, and it starts to feel better. Why does it feel better? Number one, we understand that we're suffering. And we realize that we have to do something about it. So we go looking for a doctor, a medical person, or somebody who understands the problem. And then we follow the advice, and then we apply the treatment, and we see the result. That's what we've been doing. In whatever way we can have been doing just that. And the results are powerful. They require incredible patience. This is not an instant cure. 
This takes a long, long, patient, slowly, slowly, forging through. Walking up through the bush, if you don't follow one of the paths, you get lost. So time and again, we're getting lost in our negativity, in our desire to control the situation, in our fear, in our attachment to bliss states, or feeling that something must be wrong because we're not having a pleasant experience. But for this practice to be true, for us to be really doing the work, we cannot ask for it to be a pleasant experience. We have to sit and be willing to observe, to face, to bear witness to the pleasant and the unpleasant. Regardless, breaking open, looking at things as they arise from moment to moment, being brave enough to sit with the painful stuff, going through the undergrowth and forging a path through the buried, encrusted mental habits that have built up over the years. This is a poem by Rilke. I would like to ask you to be patient with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Much like locked rooms, like books written in a foreign language. Do not ask for answers that cannot be given to you now, because you may not be able to live them. And it's about living all. Live your questions now. Perhaps you'll live slowly without noticing into the answers one distant day. This reminds me of the story of the man who drops his keys. He's on the ground looking all over for them and somebody walks by and says, Oh, can I help you? What are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my keys. So they both crawl around on their hands and knees looking in the street. And the man says, Oh, I can't find anything. Are you sure you dropped it here? He said, no, I dropped it over there, but the light is over here. <laughs> if we're looking in the places where we feel secure, where we feel happy, where the light is on and it's all pleasant and wonderful, and we expect to find the answers there, we have lost the way. The way is through the wilderness of our anger. The way is through the wilderness of our fear. The way is through the wilderness of our feeling of abandonment. It's not in the safe places, the comfortable places. It's understanding that there is pain and there is a way out of pain. There is an origin to the pain and there is a way out of pain. And the origin and the way through it lies within us. It's the development of cultivation of this path, this Eightfold Noble Path. This is not a teaching that is Buddhist. 
It's a universal truth which the Buddha so brilliantly, with incredible insight, presented to us, explained to us, formulated in these simple, easily accessible ways for us to realize the wisdom in our own hearts. Everyone is able to do this. Developing purity of mind, concentration of the mind, and tapping into the pure, transcendent energy within us so that we can accomplish this work. I have this wonderful sutta that I want to share. Monks, if one who entered and remained in unskillful mental qualities were to have a pleasant abiding in the here and now, unthreatened, undespairing, unfeverish, and on the breakup of the body after death could expect a good destination, then the Blessed One would not advocate the abandoning of unskillful mental qualities. But because one who enters and remains in unskillful mental qualities has a dukkha-full abiding in the here and now, threatened, despairing, and feverish, and on the breakup of the body after death can expect a bad destination, that is why the Blessed One advocates the abandoning of unskillful qualities. Monks, doctors give a purgative for warding off diseases caused by bile, diseases caused by phlegm, by the internal wind property. There is a purging there. I don't say that there is not. But it sometimes succeeds and sometimes it fails. So I will teach you the noble purgative that always succeeds and never fails. A purgative whereby beings subject to birth are freed from birth. Beings subject to aging are freed from aging. Beings subject to death are freed from death. Beings subject to sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair are freed from sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair. In one who has right view, wrong view is purged away. And the many evil, unskillful mental qualities that come into play in dependence on wrong view are purged away. While the many skillful mental qualities that depend on right view go to the culmination of their development. And so forth and so on with right intention, right livelihood, right speech, right action, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So we have this noble eightfold path given to us, and we know those of you that are experiencing painful mental states, how to be with these painful mental states, and with those of you that are experiencing pleasant mental states, how to not attach to those, how to keep investigating. Because remember that it isn't enough to say, I know the problem, I know I'm suffering, I know that I have to learn how to face death, I know that I have to learn how to face a difficult partner, 
I know that I have to be brave with these horrible mind states, whatever your particular predicament might be. However many years you've been blaming yourself and hating yourself for whatever you did to whoever many years ago, or one year ago, or two weeks ago, it's not enough just to know that there is this problem, that there is the origin of it, and that there is a way out. We actually have to get out there and be willing to endure and investigate again and again and again and be so mindful that the minute the mind starts the old chorus, we've got to recognize it rather than depending on somebody to say, hey, look what you're doing. Otherwise, what happens? We are made deaf by our old habits. And I'm sure some of you have experienced this, where you keep trying to go deeper into the breath, and instead there's resistance, there's defendedness, and you become suffocated, encased, embalmed in unskillful mind states. So what's the way out? Come back to listening. It's not enough to listen. You have to listen with so much interest. Like, what kind of interest do you listen to your favorite music? Now just imagine that you were sitting at home listening to Beethoven. Oh, he's not your favorite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Gosh, I don't know what the... <laughs> what are the groups? Uh, Elton John. You just get completely absorbed. But you try listening to Elton John for six hours. Then what is it going to feel like? <laughs> so we listen with so much attention to these sense pleasures. But if we kept on listening, how about all night? What will happen? Aversion. I don't think it'll take all night either. If you're experiencing a pleasant mind state, let's sit here all night and see what happens. What's going to happen? Your body is going to start to scream. Your mind will start to throw a tantrum. I remember a solitary retreat. Get it all organized and then the last visitor, the last phone call, the last email, the door shuts for the next three months or whatever. You're on your own. Oh, it's wonderful. It's great. And I've been alone, not seeing anyone, not speaking, just investigating trying to cultivate the path. And I sat there saying, it's so perfect. Uh-oh. <laughs> I could feel, I really could feel everything start to collapse. And it just fell apart. As soon as my mind latched onto it, I started to suffer. And it was almost like I'd never done it before. But I have. So what's new? How can we forget? And then we have to do it all over again until we remember. And then, of course, then there's the insight into it's impermanent. The more we do it, the deeper that realization gets. So it's not in vain. When you sit there and listen to your favorite music, whatever it is, for six hours, What's the purpose of that? 
Is there any insight in the end of it? That if we can listen to the silence in the heart for one hour, six hours, ten days, a month, two months, our whole lives, what is the result? The result is that we are cultivating the path to purify and free ourselves from unwholesome mental states, unskillful mental qualities in the mind, all the undergrowth that prevents us from seeing the path through the bush. We don't have to wait till we die. We understand, we taste either hell or heaven in this moment as a result of how we've lived our lives up until now. Sometimes we live very skillful lives and still we find ourselves in the hell realms. The mystery of karma is such. We don't know what we came into this fathom-long body with from another life. We don't know. But we understand there is a way out of pain. It's no use getting lost in the realm of the senses. It doesn't lead us anywhere. It doesn't take us up the mountain. It doesn't take us through the suffering. It just delays our work. Eventually, we're going to have to face it. And that's good news. So what are we waiting for? So if you're suffering, consider it a ticket to Nibbana. It might not be the ticket you asked for. (laughs) But you got it in your hands. Why look for it in places where it doesn't exist? In the very middle of fear is non-fear. It's not in the very middle of happiness. Because when you're happy, you don't want to know about fear. So how are you going to find the way through fear when you're distracted in a state of enjoyment? How are you going to understand how to deal with an unwholesome mind state if you haven't learned the results of unwholesomeness? How can you even understand that there's a problem? That there is an undergrowth that needs to be cleared away. So we have a toolkit, a terrific, wonderful toolkit, with a few goodies in it. Just sitting by the stream, watching it run down the mountain, not hanging on, just observing it, Just listen to the stream, to the silence, to your own heartbeat. Listen to your fear, taste it. Feel your sense of self-blame or shame. Don't believe it. Don't judge it. This is a natural process. It's a natural training. We're not trying to go uphill with the water. We're following the law of Dhamma. If we can befriend these forces in the heart, these natural forces of goodness, loving-kindness, our nature is towards goodness. It's not towards evil. Our conditioned mind moves towards ignorance. 
But our true nature moves in the direction of Nibbana. Trust that. Really trust it. That's the faith inside our very own hearts, inside the wilderness of our suffering. And it's glorious. We have woken up this much to recognize, yes, that these four questions must be asked and that we have the way to answer them. What am I feeling? It hurts. Why is it hurting? Unskillful ways of living and being with myself and others. Ignorance. Lack of wisdom. Lack of pure, unconditioned love. The wanting mind. Trusting craving. We trust craving. How can we trust craving? It's like a conspiracy in the world to make us trust craving. I remember from the days when I used to watch TV and they have these commercials. By the end of it, you want to get up and eat a chocolate cake or try this new toothpaste. There's nothing wrong with the toothpaste that we're using. (laughs) But somebody dreamed up a new kind. They want you to try it. And you think, oh, that would be great. So you go to the store and... And there's a shelf with a dozen toothpastes. Or there are many shelves of shampoo. Or there are many kinds of soap powder. Or there are many kinds of... What else do you buy in a store? (laughs) All kind of chocolate, wrapped up chips, and all these plastic packages that are pretty colors to attract our attention. Well, what's the result of that? It's attractive. We get seduced. We crave it. Desire arises in the mind. And before we know it, we're buying it and eating it. We didn't even want it. We didn't even come in there to buy a bag of chips. We just wanted some toothpaste. That's how sticky samsara is. It's really, really sticky. And that's how sticky our aversion and our greed are. Our hatred and our desire. Our hatred for things that we don't want, that we don't like, and our desire for things that we like and our delusion about what we really want and don't want are very sticky. The doubting mind, it's like, I don't know, what am I doing here? I can't stand it anymore. The food's not bad, maybe I'll stay. (laughs) Birds chanting in the early morning and the full moon last night. Wasn't it magical? And our little candles flickering in, in the night. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so great. But, hello. Then we have to sit down and listen to the silence. And suddenly, yeah, the mind is so fickle. One minute we love it, and the next minute we want to get out the gate. Don't rely on the mind, that ignorant mind, that conditioned mind, that reacts, reacts, reacts. 
Want doesn't want. Crave, hate. Desire, doubt. We're lost again in it. This is samsara. We're on the wheel. So what do we grab? Pleasure. Pleasure feels great. But if we come back every time to listen, to begin again, like the Venerable Tucha Patila, maybe I'm overusing. Bless his heart for letting me overuse it. <laughs> <laughs> I could go into the lake and it's muddy and it's cold, but we could never possibly get through it And when is that little seven-year-old novice going to tell me to stop? Because I'm drowning. I could be home, and I don't want to sit with all these people. I could sit in front of my own Buddha, where it's pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like sitting there. You know, this is the wanting mind. Can we be aware enough, can we be mindful enough to hear that tape and press stop? Press the off button. This is the training. This is how we have to train ourselves. We have the sila, keeping the eight precepts. This is a very powerful intention and action in body and speech. Then we're again and again and again training the mind, listening to it over and over and over again until we see how this mind is put together so that we're able to abide in the middle. Isn't it wonderful? It's the middle way. The middle way, be in the middle. To walk the razor's edge, you bleed. Your feet are bleeding. You walk the razor's edge. But you come to realize in your heart that this is suffering, that it has an origin, that there's a way out, and walking the middle way is that way out, and we walk it. And for the first time in our lives, our awareness of it, the awareness of fear, the awareness of resistance, the awareness of desire, is already our freedom from it, is a mind that is not fearful. It's the surrender. We're in the bog, we're ready to die. But we won't die, because there's a little novice saying, okay, you come out now. (laughs) And we so trusted him, because he's an arahant. The Bhante trusted him with his life. That's the level of faith we have to walk the middle way with. Even if we have to sit and listen to this Dhamma talk all night, that's why I brought all these nuts. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and my venerable brothers reminded me today that Ajahn Chah used to let his monks talk for hours. That's the forest tradition. Is he would get up and talk till they were falling over and they couldn't leave <laughs> all night. Sometimes till three, four in the morning, and then they'd have morning puja. Especially on a moonlit night. And tonight is the full moon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just getting going here. (laughs) To work through our habit. To learn patient endurance. 
to learn the freedom of the heart that's not dependent on things being a certain way. We become free of what's happening. We can bear it. And the more the heat gets turned up, the more we get to see how fragile we are. And then we can bring up compassion in the heart. So we surrender to the process. We have faith in the Buddha. And we can abide in a heart of gratitude. Don't believe it if the little voice goes, I can't handle it. That's a tape. You know what the training says? You press the stop button. You abandon that thought, or you bring up a wholesome thought, I can't do it. And you come back to listening to the silence. You bring up loving kindness in the heart. What did the Buddha tell us? We live, we learn to enjoy, we find beauty in life, we find wonderful friends, and then we lose them. We become weak, we get dementia, or some terrible disease, and then eventually we die and disappear. As we sit by the stream and watch it follow its natural course down the hill, we let it go. Know things for what they are and find our liberation in the truth of that. Drop anchor in a bottomless sea. There's no security. The security the safety comes in letting go the desire for safety. Contemplate. Be committed to choosing love when there is every reason to hate. To choosing faith when there is every reason to despair. Choose patience when you burn with anger. Be willing to sit in the dark, not to know, to be terrified, but to keep sitting, letting go. First, we let go of not knowing, and then of the terror, and then the fear of losing everything that we would cling to. Seeing it as clouds blowing across the vast open sky, empty in and of itself. Nothing to hold on to. Nothing to be. No one to become. Just being in the emptiness. The pure state of unconditional love, the paradox of fullness and emptiness. Here, in one breath, in the listening, in compassionate onlooking, not leaning this way or that way, not being pulled this way or that way, 
stopping all the mental formations, surrendering. When the violin can forgive the past, it starts to sing. When the violin can stop worrying about the future, you will become such a drunk, laughing nuisance that God, or unconditional love personified, will lean down and start combing you into his or her hair. (laughs) When the violin can forgive every wound caused by ourselves or by others, the heart begins to sing. That was Hafiz, a romantic, wonderful, mystic poet. So be your own poet and write your own song because when you abide in this pure presence of unconditional love. Why is it unconditional love? Because it is totally surrendered to things exactly as they are. It is the incarnation of the Four Noble Truths in the present moment. It doesn't ask life to be any other way except as it is. This is pure light. The light that endures burning becomes very bright. And what happens when there's only this much light? Remember our little lights in the dark? With one little light we came up, didn't we, Lakshmi? One little teeny candle in the darkness, we found our way down. So you think, oh, what's the use of me sitting here doing this practice? If you can have one moment of clarity in the darkness, of the wilderness of your heart, you can find your way off the mountain. You can find the path. You are the path. You are already free. Once you taste it, you'll never stop. You'll keep going until you're completely free. And you can do it. One little light dispels the darkness. That's the light of pure love. Out of compassion, I'll stop here.